Welcome to the official Strength for Life podcast. The industry leaders in clinical strength training, health, and longevity. So hello and welcome to the Strength for Life podcast. I'm your host, Kasim Ahmed, and today I'm joined by Steve Padmore, who's a cardiac exercise physiologist and cardiac rehab lead. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for being here today, for giving up your time to, to come and talk to us. Morning. Thanks for having me. Really good to be on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we, we met, I think you came, you came on our introduction to strength training workshop. That's where we met you, didn't we? Yeah, and yeah. yeah sort of struck That's up right. a friendship. Oh, yeah, 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 about, about a year ago, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, it was when we were doing the physical ones, wasn't it? Because we actually came, you met, came to Sheffield and we met you and stuff. It was great, wasn't it? I had a real fun that day, yeah. Um, Brilliant stuff. So just got some simple questions I want to ask you. First one that I always like to kind of start with is, um, could you talk a little bit about your education, how you got uh, started working as a cardiac exercise physiologist, what that kind of process, that journey was? Sure, sure. So going quite far back now, I think, Uh, (laughs) the years fly. Um, So so going back initially, so I was probably at university uh, undergraduate at Wolverhampton when I kind of got interested in kind of the cardiac and kind of exercise physiology side of things uh, in my first year. Um, so I think I remember just having that kind of one particular lecture about anatomy and physiology of the heart with, that kind of really kind of sparked my interest really. Didn't really kind of pop up in my mind before that. Um, but kind of after that kind of one or two lectures, I... Um, decided to kind of explore that field a bit more um, and that led me to doing some work experience at a hospital in Coventry. Oh, brilliant. Uh, nice. So I kind of spent every kind of bit of ho- holiday uh, in between kind of university and sort of spare time I had just really kind of um, working with the cardio rehab team at Coventry in a hospital um, and just trying to find out a bit more really. Um, yeah. So that kind of went on for sort of probably a few years during university, during school holidays during holidays and things yeah. um and then sort of after that and get my kind of undergraduate qualification um so that was in sports studies and exercise science yeah. um, at university I decided to kind of pursue things a bit more um and very lucky enough at the time to uh get a job at the same place I did work experience at at Coventry yeah nice um, oh, so, that happens yeah absolutely so really fortunate very lucky kind of right place right time and having kind of they knew me um and I knew the role and kind of what it was about a bit more and that really gave me kind of a step of stone into that field really yeah. and um, could, you, could you give us an overview of that role then you talked you talked about the role what what does the cardiac exercise physiologist do who, who do you work with what do you do yeah so um so in cardiac rehab so it varies across the country really um but typically an exercise physiologist in a cardiac rehab role are kind of our main, if you like, job will be to really kind of look at both the acute and long-term responses of physical activity um, related to our cardiac patients. So um, typically cardiac rehab programs see patients post-heart attack, um, post-heart bypass surgery, maybe post-valve surgery, and what's called coronary angioplasty. So we initially see these patients maybe in the kind of the days after their procedure or before their procedure. Um, and we work alongside cardio rehab nurse specialists, um, linking in with cardiologists, dietitians, um, sometimes psychological practitioners as well. Um, and we'll, between ourselves, the nurses and the exercise physiologists, we'll really kind of offer them the support and guidance to really help get back to normal. So a lot of aspects will be on what we call secondary prevention. So reducing the risk of future heart attack um, or, or going on to have another procedure. 
Um, so we'll look at kind of their, from an exercise physiology point of view, we'll look at their previous activity levels and what they're doing prior to their events um, and kind of what they want to get back to doing really. Um, but alongside that, we'll be looking at maybe their risk of getting back into activity. Um, we have to look at a lot of sort of complex data. So that might include um, ECGs, so looking at kind of heart rhythms, both kind of current and, and previous heart rhythms, if they've had kind of any um, in, implantable devices such as defibrillators, um, which we have to kind of take into account when we're exercising them to make sure that doesn't go off and cause a shock or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if, if they've got some kind of untreated disease, um, which may impact on the moving forwards and possibly having more symptoms in the future. Um, so we're looking at a lot of things, medication, um, I say activity level, lifestyle, and kind of any risk factors they've got for the kind of recurrence of heart disease in the future. Yeah. A solid MDT you mentioned there, didn't you? That was kind of leading on to my next question really was, uh, could you describe the facility that you work in and how that kind of relates to, you know, with the MDT and kind of how that all, all works? Because as a physio, we, we, we don't really work that closely with cardiac physiology. I don't get to work kind of alongside them, which I think is a massive shame because I would love yeah. that. I'm always quite interested to see your guys' facilities and kind of what you work with. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I mean, historically, um, physiotherapists were often sort of, uh, in a lot of programs still across the country, you have a lot of physiotherapists within kind of the cardiac rehab setting um over the last number of years there's a lot more kind of exercise physiology specific posts now um but in our facility i work in a hospital um good Hope hospital in birmingham um so there we've got um we're kind of part of a cardiac ward so our kind of office is based on the wards so we've got our, our nursing team and exercise physiologists um on there um and we do what we call outpatient exercise uh, downstairs in a kind of old school gym really um <laughs> you know the, the bars and everything else so in our kind of gym facility we've got um bikes we've got treadmills we've got rowing machines all your typical kind of gym based kit um dumbbells uh, a few machine weights um and kind of we'll see patients a couple of times a week normally so prior to COVID anyway a couple of times a week um where we'll get them on an eight-week um supervised program um where we'll do kind of cardiovascular uh, resistance training to help them get back to their normality, whatever their goals are from there, really. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. It's really good. Sounds like you're really well kitted out as well, which I, I really like that. I think it's a really kind of nice, nice thing. Um, I know you do a little bit of work with the British Association of Sports and Exercise Science, as well as the British Association of Cardiopulmonary Rehab. And I know you've written a few articles and a few bits and bobs. I was wondering if you could just kind of touch on that a, li- a little bit. Yeah, so not too much with um, kind of basis um, for association sport and exercise science, but I've been fortunate they asked me to do a couple of articles, really just um, giving a, an overview of my kind of experience or kind of how to kind of get into the field of exercise physiology related to cardiac rehab. Um, so uh, I've kind of given a bit of background there to really kind of help students um, get the best opportunities and, and maybe kind of leg up to get some future opportunities in this field. Um, it's a very competitive field and obviously there's thousands of sports sports studies exercise science and exercise physiology students coming um, out every year which makes it ever more difficult um so any kind of little bit of kind of advice i can give uh, and hopefully to try to previously offer some placements and things like that where possible then i'll try and do that so i know how difficult it is and opportunities are obviously limited really 
Yeah, yeah. We found a, a similar thing with the, the sort of strength and conditioning crowd, particularly uh, coming like the younger ones, graduates and stuff that maybe don't want to work necessarily in the kind of sports field and are wanting to work more with pathology and stuff like that. And I think that's a really kind of nice area of, of growth, isn't it, really? People that are quite, you know, exercise kind of focused, got that practical application, wanting to work with people that have health problems, I think is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, in terms of kind of... um students looking to work with kind of sport in, in sport and athletes the the jobs are few and far between and there's less of those individuals whereas you know obviously the aging population there should be a lot more moving forwards a, a lot more opportunity for that and in our field we're I'm, I'm very very lucky because you see the whole range of things it's not just the cardiac side of things it's patients who've got diabetes who've got osteoporosis cancer um kidney transplants kind of you name it you kind of come across it and have to learn about it and develop your knowledge on that area so it's that ever kind of ever-growing field really which makes it really exciting kind of yeah. always keeps you on your toes yeah yeah it's like that isn't it that athletes are like the 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 one percent aren't they of the population it's like why not like you're saying work with the other 99 percent, the normal people isn't it with those exactly everyday yeah. um cool yeah really good so I, I just thought if could you talk us through a bit of a kind of case study then and could you go through what what screening uh, tools you'd use and the kind of testing that you'd you'd do um maybe a little bit about intervention in particular obviously we're really interested in the strength stuff as well so if you could kind of touch on what you'd use as an intervention any outcome measures or, or follow-ups just like a typical kind of case study of a person that you might work with okay so um Actually, to, I've got a couple of kind of examples here. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, so kind of a, a typical example might be kind of a 59-year-old male, um, and his diagnosis was uh, what we call an anterior MI, um, also known as a heart attack, and he had a, what we call a primary angioplasty and sent to his left coronary artery. Um, so typically, any patients post-heart attack, as soon as they're, they're diagnosed as having had a heart attack, they'll go straight to the, the catheter lab and have a have a kind of small kind of metal scaffold stent put in an artery to open up the vessel um, and re-establish blood flow. Um, so they've done that procedure. There was still some mild disease in another vessel. Um, and they then went on to having a what we call an echocardiogram, which is simply an ultrasound scan, um, which really shows how well the heart as a as a pump is functioning. Because you know, after a heart attack, the way the heart pumps can be weakened slightly after an event. So we kind of have a look at the overall contractility um, and that helps us kind of really identify if they need any further kind of maybe procedure, but certainly if they need their medication adjusting to reduce the risk of abnormal heart rhythms in the future. Um, so they're patients that we see like that, they're normally put on a standard sort of four or five tablets. So things like aspirin, um, another what we call antiplatelet to stop the stickiness of the blood uh, and they're often on medication to slow the heart rate down and kind of reduce the overall workload and uh, like a beta blocker. Yeah. Um, they're also given things like um, cholesterol lowering tablets, um, like, a, like a statin, which many of you have probably heard of. Um, and they're given a, an emergency spray called a, a GTN spray. Um, so that is if they have any kind of acute uh, chest pain or chest tightness symptoms that can hopefully open the artery and leave their symptoms. Um, so that's kind of a, a typical overview of a patient we might typically see. Um, so from that point, we'll normally see that kind of patient anywhere between one and four weeks after their event or event and procedure. Um, we'll at that point we'll kind of 
have a good chat to them to really see what's going on at the moment. We'll we'll get kind of an identification of if they're having any kind of current symptoms, um, what their symptoms were when they came in with the heart attack. So hopefully, obviously, if they have any future symptoms, they're better able to kind of distinguish is it heart related or is it something else? Because often, as you can imagine, the anxiety of any kind of twinge or niggle after an event is quite anxiety provoking. Um, so we're trying to get them to understand what their symptoms were and to recognise it in the future. Um, and then we're looking at what their current symptoms are. So do they have any, since they've been home, have they had any more chest pain, any more sort of limiting shortness of breath doing day-to-day things, climbing stairs, things like that, um, any dizziness, any palpitations, um, any swelling in the ankles that might mean the heart's not quite doing a, an efficient job. So there's a, a few kind of standard questions we go through. Um, we then look at all the medication, make sure they know what they're taking, why they're taking it, um, and then talk to them about their lifestyle. So are they smoking? Obviously looking to, to hopefully get them to stop that eventually um, and look at their general kind of nutrition status and so forth. And then we move on to kind of the, the kind of meat and drink, if you like, the exercise testing for us as a, as a physiologist. So um, typically now we, at our facility, we tend to do um, either uh, an aerobic cycle test which tends to last between six and eight minutes, or a six-minute walk test. Um, so on both of those assessments, there's some maximal exercise tests. We don't do any maximal testing. Um, in kind of cardiology, um, that's kind of less common now in terms of maximal exercise testing on a treadmill and so forth. It used to happen some years back, but it's less so now. So we do submaximal tests, so more kind of working at moderate intensity for, for individuals. Um, at our place, they'll be wired up to an ECG monitor so we can look at that heart rate and rhythm during that kind of exercise assessment, for example, on a bike. So we look at overall heart rate response, blood pressure response, how they're finding things. The old um, rating of perceived exertion scale is, is heavily used in cardio rehab, both on testing and during an exercise class. Um, and that helps us um, really see if their if their physio- physiological responses are appropriate and normal for them. Um, and if they're not, we obviously look to do something about that um, by working with a cardiologist and, and the other specialist nurses. Um, that really helps us establish a um, their overall exercise tolerance. So we kind of use that to set their exercise levels. So we've got previous research and published data. We can get handle on roughly their um, their kind of estimated exercise capacity, um, and we can use that to make sure they're working at the right intensity. So typically cardiac patients work at a moderate intensity, although there is lots of more kind of research where um, we're looking at higher intensity training and the safety and effectiveness of that. Um, but typically moderate intensity kind of aerobic training is the kind of the main kind of main go-to for cardiac um, patients, cardiovascular disease patients. Although in recent years now, there's a lot more coming about um, resistance training and strength training. Um, which is about time, really. Um, <laughs> there's certainly a, a lot less than in that kind of area, kind of resistance side, compared to kind of the general population. Um, so it's one of those areas that are kind of quite developing all the time, really. Yeah, yeah. And what would you use in terms of kind of things like outcome measures? So um, we use so a lot of our kind of uh, testing, so that'll be assessed pre and post um, the 8-12-week eight, intervention. So we'll look to see how things like their heart rate reduced for the same given exercise intensity and workload. Um, is the blood pressure response lower? Um, and 
is there maybe their what we call that their risk stratification has that maybe possibly improved as a result of the intervention um and then we'll look at kind of what their goals were initially and pre and post and see if they've met that really um as well as other kind of non-physical kind of outcome measures so has their anxiety and depression improved um pre to post and so forth um those are kind of some of the things we tend to kind of look at really very comprehensive and obviously very meaningful for the patient, isn't it? If you can go through and say, well, this is your blood pressure, your heart rate pre-intervention. This is where you're at now. The mental health side of it as well. It's just, it's fantastic because it's exactly what the patient Absolutely. needs. Isn't it? That kind of yeah, awesome. that kind of reassurance and, you know, seeing black and white, they've, they've improved in some way, shape or form. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And in terms of things like, I mean, like onward kind of community referral or follow-up, I mean, do, do patients get offered much in terms of kind of where you can then go go from there? They do, they do. And kind of that kind of that follow up afterwards is really important. So um, at our centre, they'll typically be on the programme for eight weeks and they'll be reassessed at the end of the programme to look at their, their exercise levels, their kind of risk factor status. Uh, and then we'll refer them on to local local programmes. So there's what we call typically phase four programmes. That's kind of a non-clinical kind of community venues. So there's various leisure centres where there's uh, what we call uh, BACPR phase four exercise instructors. So they're kind of, they might be, if you like, typical gym instructors in specialist training um, to enable them to have the knowledge and, and skills to uh, monitor and support those kind of cardiac patients. So they run at various other centres um, and other facilities. So those programmes, some of them last maybe another eight weeks, others are long term and, and maybe going for years and years. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. I think we need something like that with the kind of, MSK osteosarcopenia type thing, you know, like a kind of complete service that then goes on into the kind of community and stuff, I think is, oh, is absolutely. absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What what would you say is the kind of heart one of the, the hardest things or one of the most challenging things about the kind of demographic that you that you work with? Do you have any kind of unique challenges that you that you you find? Um I, th- I think um probably more so now it's it's not necessarily the physical side of things. Um because with kind of ever kind of improving medication and procedures often from a physical point of view patients can do quite well but it's the psychological aspect of things um so i've been in kind of working with cardiac patients for probably well i don't know 15 16 years or so and you kind of see the difference in the age of the client groups client group now so typically when i started working patients were typically mainly male um kind of mid 60s and above now we're typically seeing patients in the 50s um, as kind of the standard age, um, but there's a complete range. So I've had patients up to their 90s uh, to patients in their 20s with heart attacks. Um, and that's quite shocking um, when you're seeing patients that are maybe younger than I am um, and trying to help them kind of recover, not just physically, but psychologically. That's the, the hardest kind of part of things, I'd say. Yeah, yeah I can imagine it is. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's just a very interesting kind of um, a very interesting situation, I suppose, isn't it? With the, the kind of vast age demographic there and how that kind of tailors into a, into a service. So no, yes, very, very absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we don't when we're in our twenties or thirties, we don't expect to be having having a heart attack or heart related problems. We're kind of we think we're invincible, don't we? Um, yeah. So it certainly kind of puts things in perspective for me as a health professional. But you know, you see those patients who do all the right things, and unfortunately, sometimes they still have heart-related problems yeah. and the complete opposite yeah. terrible lifestyle not living as well as they perhaps could do and sometimes those patients are, are lucky 
it just yeah. really varies and that can be hard yeah, for, yeah. for individuals um lovely i mean as well as like the the training that you did through your university and things like that have you done any kind of additional training alongside that that you thought was particularly useful for you as a as a practitioner anything that kind of stands out really yeah yeah so um so for me so after my undergraduate i, I did a uh master's degree uh at chester in cardiovascular rehabilitation um and that was that was excellent that was fantastic so that was kind of a number of years after I kind of first qualified, if you like, and started working in this field. Um, and that really gives you a whole overview of not just the exercise, exercise physiology side of things, but um, kind of uh, nutrition, the medication side of things, the different uh, investigations, and really getting that kind of whole whole picture. Um, so that really kind of give you a, a really good kind of overview and foundation to kind of build on from what I already already knew really and a bit more kind of specific kind of uh, learning I think um, and then on top of that I'd I think having in terms of my learning having students as well I think that really helps as well um, over the years so obviously things are always changing in this field as, as you know um, there's always different research coming out um, and I think students for me um, give you that extra motivation sometimes they bring me different ideas, maybe change my own thought process and, and can challenge me. So I think that certainly helps kind of in my education as well. Yeah, um, yeah I think, uh, I think yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that's what you'd kind of go with. I mean, there's yeah. nothing like it, it, exactly that, isn't it? When they come in with those kind of new ideas and get you rethinking things, I think it's really, really useful. Is it, is it, you know, yeah. You're setting your ways, don't you, sometimes when you've been a, a clinician, etc. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of kind of, I suppose, advice then, like you've got those young students coming through or if you were to go back and talk to yourself at the beginning of your career, what advice would you give yourself um, specifically for, for, you know, sort of being successful within your your profession? What what kind of advice would you give to the younger people out there? Um, I would say certainly, obviously, the degree, uh, your undergraduate degree, um, it is certainly useful, gives you a bit of a foundation um, and I think where possible to get that master's degree in a specific area, be it cardiovascular rehabilitation or exercise physiology in general is is really useful but then I think a lot of it then comes down to kind of just putting yourself out there where possible so um just volunteering um or unless there's kind of paid placements but just getting that kind of observation and sort of experience of different sort of fields different areas um be it cardiac rehab be it cancer um be it elder adults in general um and get used to working with different kind of client groups I think um just I think sometimes you can have all the, the knowledge but if you don't know how to kind of put that across then it can make your kind of job very, very very difficult so I think working with different client groups and seeing kind of other professionals and trying to get the work experience is the kind of the best advice I can give really and just getting get your face out there get your name out there um, whether it's a, a couple of days or a few months all of that experience massively kind of gives you an opportunity and people remember remember you you know so I think that really helps yeah I think when I, when I first became a physiotherapist, I actually worked as a support worker on the wards and I got I got sent onto like a, a dementia care ward. And at the time I was completely like a fish out of water. I was, I was you know, I was thinking, oh my God, I really don't know what to do here. But it's that thing that you're talking about, isn't it? You just get used to talking yeah. to people with different health problems, how a ward works, talking to an MDT, being involved kind of thing. I think that's what you're yeah. you focus on. You just get stuck in basically. Uh, absolutely. And I think um, certainly if you if you're a person who wants to work in a hospital setting um, or kind of that kind of medical sort of field, um, getting used to all the jargon, 
because there's a, a lot of jargon in, <laughs> in, in hospitals and as you know in the medical field and I know when I first started that lots of abbreviations and you're thinking what is that <laughs> um, so having a little kind of black book when you're when you're walking around and you're working with the other kind of more experienced professionals just learn all the different terminologies and how how the processes work is is really kind of useful and that kind of puts you in good stead when you do maybe get an opportunity down the line just tr- just good transferable skills aren't they in healthcare just understanding how that, that, that kind of stuff runs um, lovely and i was just thinking if we could just kind of round off then so any specific kind of researchers or good resources that you'd recommend for anyone interested in kind of cardiac rehab who where you know where can we go from here to learn more yeah about so it? so um cardiac rehab wise i say the British association of cardiovascular prevention and rehabilitation so the bacpr is a great um resource so they're kind of our national body for um, sort of cardiovascular disease and prevention. Um, so they do really good sort of educational resources, training and supports. And there's always regular kind of workshops for exile professionals um, sort of each year. So that's always really, really, um, really, really useful. Um, BASIS, obviously, Business Association of Sport and Exercise Science is a, is a good, good resource as well uh, and good kind of educational opportunities there. And certainly, um, I think most sort of students would be familiar with it, but the old, uh, the old ACSM, um, Guidelines for Exercise Testing and Prescription, the second Bible, as it were. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a really useful resource and really good reference uh, and that's something I've used kind of throughout my, my career. So uh, um, in terms of kind of researchers, really, so people like, certainly in my field, um, Dr. John Buckley, um, Patrick Darty, um, there's, there's there's so many really um but kind of useful people to kind of to look at um as well as the european society of cardiology is is really kind of a, a good sort of look up to see um get the overall kind of national advice and guidelines um as well as uh, nice as well yeah. um to get all your kind of your, your practical kind of guidelines as well brilliant and what's kind of next for you then steve in terms of have you got any projects kind of coming up or anything interesting that's that's going on career wise or uh, well, it's a lot of it's kind of up in the air, as, as you can imagine, with the, the COVID at the moment. Um, but um, I have done sort of various sort of uh, teaching sessions at uni- different universities over the years and things. Um, not done any for the last year or two. So perhaps doing sort of little bits of that where possible um, would be nice. I always enjoy doing a little bit of that on the side of things. Um, so so perhaps doing a bit more of that in the future. Um, and if we can want to come out of this kind of the pandemic, maybe a bit of research kind of within our facility um, to, to kind of help move our kind of service forward and uh, just uh, develop on kind of the research that's already out there. Brilliant stuff. And if people want to get in touch with you, maybe you've got, you know, like kind of people wanting to get into the field, what's the best way to kind of get in touch with you? Are you I think you're quite active on LinkedIn, aren't you, if I remember correctly? I am, yeah. So so LinkedIn, Twitter, sort of uh, drop me a message on there and um, you, can, you can have a chat about things. That's probably the best way, really. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Well, Steve, thank you so much for being here and giving up your time to, to come and talk to us. Really appreciate it. And it's just, you've got obviously an incredible insight, but it's just, a, <laughs> so as, a, as someone that works in healthcare, it's just a very comprehensive service, isn't it? It's absolutely fantastic yeah. to sit and listen to. I, you know, I'm really impressed with it. Um, so that's brilliant stuff. So yes, we've got Steve Padmore. Um, we'll put your uh, social media details in the in the description so people can get, uh, get a hold of you. Great, great. Uh, and that's great. So Steve, thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Take care. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to the official Strength for Life podcast. The leaders in evidence-based clinical strength training. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram or visit our website. And remember, strength saves lives. Thank <laughs> you.